All right, we are in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. <clears throat> Ephesians 6, 4. This is the second of three parts on the Christian household. I didn't intend the one on parents to fall on Father's Day. It kind of just happened like that. This was, sermon series was supposed to be in May, but for various reasons it got pushed back till now, and it just happens that the sermon about parenting, specifically here fathers, falls on Father's Day. One of the things I want us to understand is that God has in Scripture very and many precious promises, and many of those are for parents. He promises in the very last word of the Old Testament, he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children to the fathers. Isn't that wonderful? In Exodus 34, as the Lord revealed further his glory to Moses, he said, he is the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands And the idea there, the term there is to thousands of generations. A God is a God of our children and our children's children and our children's children's children and for a thousand generations. Provided we as fathers and mothers keep faith with our God and keep his commands regarding our parenting purposes and duties. So that's what I want to do this morning. Because we have these great promises to Christian parents for our children, and that those promises are contingent on our faithfulness to keeping to God's purposes and duties in Scripture, I want to outline what those purposes and duties are this morning. That's what this sermon series is for. Just very simply, what's the purpose of last week, husbands and wives, this week, purposes of fathers and mothers, next week, purposes of children, and then what are their duties? And so that's what we're going to be, because we want God's blessing on our families. And so that's what we're going to do. Here's Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, give us life according to your word. Make us to understand the way of your precepts. Teach us to meditate on them. Strengthen us according to your word. Put false ways far from us. Be gracious to us now. Set your rules before us. Teach us to run in the way of your commandments as you enlarge our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I said last week in these texts towards the ends of Uh, Paul's letters, he often, as he's giving exhortations to the church, would include exhortations specifically to households, Uh, husbands and wives, fathers and mothers, children, and then masters and slaves. And so this week, I'm jumping ahead of the children and just kind of going in order, and we're focusing on the duties of parents. Uh, And here we see the purpose is to bring them up in the Lord. That's our parenting purpose. I think you're all aware of that, but it's good to be reminded of what you're for. This is what you're for, dad and mom. 
you're for bringing your children up in the Lord. That's why God has given you life, given you fruit as children, to bring them up in the Lord. How? Well, by not provoking them to anger, but by bringing them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We're going to get into some detail on that. I aim to be helpful to you, and so I plan here shortly to become very specific. I won't be able to say everything, but hopefully I'll be able to say many things. I want to get specific so I don't leave myself plausible deniability uh, where I say enough, but not enough to offend you, but enough where if you come to me and say, why didn't you tell us? I say, I told you. So, so hopefully this will offend you in a way that helps you. That's really my goal, that the Word of God can be a sword or a hammer that offends you at your sin and so is helpful to you. So a few considerations, though, before we get specific. Why does it only say Father here? Why? Why doesn't it say Father and Mother or Fathers and Mothers? Well, the simple truth, and this is an area that we need to deal with ourselves on is that it's only in a feminist age where we would even consider asking that question. Every other age before our time has understood that when it addresses fathers because they had a household, it's addressing mothers in them, and that wasn't in the least offensive. But we're offended today because we must address fathers and mothers. How dare we only address the men and not the women? Women were not offended by that, but we're feminists. We hate God's law. We hate God's word at this place. And so we're offended. So the, fri- the primary responsibility lies with the father. And by extension includes the mother because she was given to her husband as a helpmate to help him raise the children in the Lord. And so by addressing the father who leads the household, who in a real way, has more influence on the household than the mother. It's addressing the entire household, including the mother. It's how God made the world. And in our wanting to include mothers, our our wanting to make sure that we don't neglect the women, could be, a temptation to rebel at that point. And so fathers, you have a responsibility here. Keith said it. It's a heavy one. We all feel it. Nobody's a good father. There's only been one good father, and he's the eternal father. Right? There's no good fathers except God in heaven. And yet God has called us to this work, and he means us to do it in such a way that he uses our fathering and our mothering to bring up our children in the Lord. So let's get specific. Fathers, other than laying eyes on your wife, remember that day? I remember it. I was playing basketball at a Campus Crusade retreat with Mandy and went, ooh. (laughs) She's good looking and she can shoot. 
I don't know if you guys know the story. Uh, we, we went to UW Lacrosse, and Pastor Jeff and his wife Becky were there. Jeff was at the, retri- at the Camp Crusade getaway, and Becky wasn't. And after playing basketball with Mandy and seeing her for the first time, the next time I saw her, she was on the swings with Jeff. And I went, oh. Well, I didn't know that Jeff and Becky were dating, and so Mandy knew Jeff because Mandy and Becky were roommates. So once I found that out, it was uh, full steam ahead. A little bit later, this is totally off script. Another one of our Campus Crusade uh, friends, or a good friend of mine, Doc Dave, uh, came to me, knew that I was interested in Mandy, and he said, are you and Mandy dating? And we weren't, but I lied to him. I said, yeah, because I knew he was interested, and so he honored my lie, and I got married, and he didn't to her. <laughs> All is fair and love and war, brothers. So other than that day of finding your wife, is there any sweeter day when your child is born? Huh? Amazing, isn't it? <laughs> Unbelievable. You also realize in that moment the weight. That you, along with your wife, have just brought an immortal soul into this world. (laughs) Jeez. So, brothers, let me give you some hope. Sisters, let me give you some hope. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 15, we read that the Father in heaven is given fatherhood In heaven and earth, it's name. Now, the ESV has softened the word there in in verse 15. You see a little note. It's actually fatherhood, from whom every father in heaven and earth is named. We have a father in heaven. He is the source of all fatherhood on earth. And so what we're doing as fathers is a really, really good work. The first way that God is revealed to us is as father. He's a creator. He's the source of all life. He's the begetter of all things. And we have been fashioned after him. We're given this calling after him. It's a really, really good and important work. It's, it's a chief work. It's the, it's the good work. It means first that Father, our God in heaven, is... Our Father in this work. He's for us in it. Our fathering displays His fathering. He means you to to do well at it. He means you to have what you need to do it. But in such a way that He gets the glory and not you. It means that He as Father because of Christ forgives all of our fathering sin. It is no impediment to Him to saving our children wasn't an impediment to saving you, even though you have a sinful father and mother. And it means that God the Father has rescued you, father and mother, from all of your sins, forgiven you, and aids you in this battle, and he'll do the same for your children. Do not lose hope in your work. And so, brothers, particularly, do not set aside your fathering You will be tempted because it is a massive responsibility and because you know the sins of your father and your father's father. You know your sins. 
you know, the world's assault on this fatherhood for you to just not do the work, to coast at it, to lay it down, to do it, but not really. But give yourselves to it. Give yourselves to it in a way that other than caring for your wife, you don't give yourself to anything else. You are meant to be fruitful. You are meant by, to be used by God the Father to raise children who love Him and live their lives for Him. So don't set it aside. We see a temptation in verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. One of the ways that we might kind of not fully understand this verse, we understand part of it but not the full of it, is he's not here mainly talking about doing something in your daily life that will make your children angry. That's included, but that's not the main thing here. I think sometimes we take this verse to mean, I don't want to do anything this afternoon that would unrightly provoke my children to anger. That's true, of course. But instead, what he means here is to so neglect the work of fathering that when your children are raised and gone, they have anger issues because of the atmosphere that you raise them in. That you didn't, you weren't careful to raise them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so they're angry. They have a bitterness problem. Their souls are gripped with frustration and anger because of how you raise them consistently over their time in your home. That's the kind of provoking he means. He means here more the culture that you create in your home, not your day-in, day-out sins. You understand what I'm getting at here in the, in the, in, in the difference there? Ooh, don't we have an epidemic of angry men and women in our culture? Where is it coming from? Where is this despair, this frustration that we see boiling over in our culture? Where is it coming from? Isn't it coming from this verse? Isn't this all the information you need about where our culture is crumbling? They don't know what to do with it. They don't know where to go with it. They don't even know where it comes from. This is where. This is it. So, fathers... We may be tempted to be distant or absent. We might be tempted to raise our children with such firmness and such, we've got to do it right, that your children feel constrained and you're consistently irritable. You, they never measure up. They're raised with a tenor of displeasure. So you lack love maybe consistently, lack instruction. They lack discipline or maybe too harsh or too soft, whatever, the tenor that they're raised with leaves them angry. Yes, you must daily repent of your fathering sins, but that really isn't the main issue your children will deal with. The main issue your children will deal with will ultimately be lovelessness. If you love your children, they know it, you can sin against them and they'll be okay. You understand what I mean? I'm not, I'm not here condoning sin. But a child who knows they're loved and that their father sees them as wonderful and delightful and that their father's easily pleased and the father has taken the time to instruct and the father has been firm and loving and disciplined, that kind of father can sin against his children. Sin isn't the problem. It's this atmosphere issue that's the problem. 
So, let's start with you in relation to your father. What do you do if you're angry? What do you do if you have a bitterness against your dad or mom or church father or work father or civil father? What do you do with the frustration, bitterness, anger you have against fathers? Well, first admit it. Just name it for what it is. I don't mean that there's any secret in calling it the right thing. I'm just saying just it's real. There it is. Don't deny it. Don't act if it's not there. Fathers fail. Fathers sin. Some fathers aren't there at all. Some fathers are defined by their sin. They're captive to an addiction. Some are distant. Some are lacking in emotional and relational love. Some are harsh and irritable. Some didn't communicate pleasure to you. It's all right to admit it for what it is. Second, forgive him. Forgive him. Forgive him. Here's the thing. If you were your dad and you had all that he had growing up, you would have probably done a worse job. He tried his best. He tried his best. So forgive him as you've been forgiven in Christ. I know it's easy for me to say this, but this is the gospel. God in Christ forgives our sins committed against our Father. And if we are his children, we must forgive those who have sinned against us, including our fathers. So forgive him. If he is past and you didn't have opportunity, just, the Lord is sufficient here. You nursing bitterness and anger and frustration will only harm you. It's only making it worse. It's poison that will eat you up. And so forgive him. Forgive them. So fathers and mothers, then, the rest of this sermon is aimed at specific teaching and exhorting you, especially at building the kind of culture, atmosphere, and environment in your home. So it's never too late. In Joel chapter 2, verse 25, it says that God is a God who redeems the years that the locusts have eaten. Isn't that precious? You may have thought, my kids have been raised, they're gone, they're out of the home, they're dealing with all of... The things I've done, it's not too late. Seek forgiveness. Turn your hearts towards your children. Try and try and try and try again. Repent, ask forgiveness. Be patient in rebuilding. Young fathers who haven't made much of a mess yet. (laughs) Those who are yet unmarried, looking forward to finding that wife and going to build a home, please pay attention. Many of us didn't know ahead of time what you're about to hear. Give me your ear. Get ready for the work. We spend so much time preparing for vocation. 
and very little time preparing for fatherhood or motherhood. What a shame. Why doesn't the church teach about this anymore? Why doesn't the church teach specifically about this anymore? We leave parents just to go. This is not one of those jobs that you say, go get them. (laughs) It's a big deal. So let's start again with the purpose to bring them up in the Lord. So just get this tattooed on your forehead. This is what you're for. This is your calling from your God. Your calling, the moment that you learn that your wife says, I'm pregnant, and you're supposed to get married before you hear those words. And if you haven't, the Lord forgives that sin too, but it will create significant trouble for you and for your child. Don't do it. It doesn't work well. What you are doing in fathering and mothering children is you are given to them to bring them up in the Lord. That's the goal. There are three biblical purposes to your marriage. One is the companionship, and it is sweet. To go through this life with all of the burdens, all of the worries, all of the sorrows, all of the joys, and have somebody else to do that with is awesome. A shoulder to cry on, another to rejoice with, a closest friend. It is beautiful. So that's one. Second is to keep you from sexual morality. You were created male and female with all of the parts and all of the desires, and those are good. But we can corrupt them, and so God has given us marriage so that it won't be corrupted. To have married sex so that you don't have sexual activity outside of marriage. So wives are supposed to give themselves to their husbands, husbands to their wives regularly to protect each other. That's the second one. The third one is raising, having and raising children of the Lord. In Malachi chapter 2, verse 15, God isn't just seeking more humans. It says there that he is seeking godly children. He was seeking godly offspring. So your goal in your parenting, what God has put you here for, is to raise children in the Lord. So the temptation, though, is just to settle for just raising children. To just raising children who might find some measure of happiness and success in this world. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. We want them to be able to not just survive this world, but do well in it. That's a good desire. Want to raise children who can do well in this world. But what about their souls? What about life after death? Do we neglect their immortal souls to their preparations for this world? That is, do we train them to be athletes but not Christians? Do we train them to be able to have all kinds of learning and knowledge and all that they'll need to make a six-figure income and have a nice big house, but not know the Lord? And so this is the Christian purpose, to raise them in the Lord, that they might know eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. This is what you are for. This is your work. 
to build a conspicuously Christian household. A household that looks different from the rest of the world around you. A household where your aim as father and mother is we are not just raising children. We are raising children that love the things of God. We are raising children that know what sin is and know what to do with it. We are raising children that love Christ's church. We are raising children that want to contribute to the society in a distinctly Christian way. That's what we're for. And it is a constant work. It's like gardening. You can't ever stop. Or the weeds take over, the pests take over. It's something you have to give yourself to. It's not easy. It's often terrifying. But we are to bring them up in the Lord. Okay, so how? How? I plan to get very specific here. How? Well, just look at that word, bring them up. Interestingly, the same word was used when Paul was exhorting husbands in verse 29 of chapter 5, no one ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. It's the same word as nourish. So a husband is supposed to nourish his wife. There is this attentiveness to her, a care, a, a provision. Parents are supposed to do the same thing for their children. There's this intimate, intentional focus of feeding and guiding a child towards a specific goal. In Psalm 127.4, we, as you've heard, our children are like arrows in the hands of a mighty warrior. What a great uh, uh, picture for a man. We are mighty men of God. We don't feel it. We don't look it. (laughs) But we are, and our greatest weapon, our most effective tool in this world is our children. And we're supposed to have them knocked. We're pulling back the bow. We're pointing them in a specific direction, aiming to release them on this world, to do damage in this world for Christ. So there's an intentionality a focus on this goal. So bring them up, and then Paul has these two terms, discipline and instruction. These two words are meant to paint an entire picture of parenting, teaching and training, instruction and discipline, head and heart. Typically, these words, discipline, focused on the will, the formation of the heart. We're forming what children love. We are teaching them what to love and what to hate. And that is guided by the mind, instruction. So, in the biblical understanding of man, we need to be renewed in our minds. What we understand is good and right and pure and lovely and what isn't, which then guides our will, our heart, what we love, which then leads to our actions. And parents are given the responsibility to instruct to form what a child loves, they might live for the Lord. And notice, it's not just bring them up in discipline and instruction, but discipline and instruction of the Lord, distinctly Christian, which means we need His Word to be biblical without compromise. 
All right, so let me just give you some very specific ways to go about this. And I'm going to have to run through these. First is your example. How are you going to raise children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord by you loving the Lord? So, Father, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Teach your children how to repent of sin. Teach them how to sing. Teach them how to have private devotions by your example. Your example matters. So one way that you might provoke your children is to consistently expect something of them that you're not doing. Maybe you know people, we know people whose parents dropped them off at church and didn't go. So your example matters. And so it might need to start with you. Are you a Christian? Have you given your... Are you living a Christian life? Of course, there's... I don't mean this idyllic, super spiritual thing. I just mean normal life. Wherever you're at, are you seeking more in the Lord? So that's first, your example. Second is provision. Bringing up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, this nurture and admonition of the Lord means providing them a home. This wonderful place, secure from the world, where they are raised with what they need for life. Food, clothes, a bath every once in a while, a home. This is the happiest place of our lives, right? Home. And so do that. Another way to say it is, moms and dads are supposed to be the Department of Health and Human Services. And education, but we'll get to that in a minute. So provide them a home. Daily provision. We are taught by the Lord to pray for daily bread. So we work hard together as husbands and wives, being wise with finances to make sure our kids have what they need. We don't love stuff, but we provide it for them generously, abundantly. So provide well for them. Third, and this one might be the most important, I'm not sure, you need to cultivate an atmosphere in your household that's enjoyable. Let your kids enjoy it. It doesn't mean it's always going to be perfect. It doesn't mean there won't be regular yelling, fighting, frustration. But mom and dad, dad particularly, we have to take care not to be consistently and easily irritated with each other in our marriages and with our children. I don't know that there's any quicker way to make your kid an atheist but to raise them constantly irritated with them, to teach them that God in heaven above is never, ever pleased with them. Don't forget, when the Lord himself was baptized, what did the Father say of him from heaven? This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. That's the atmosphere to cultivate in your home. That doesn't mean that you don't have high expectations for your children. It just means that they hear consistently communicated through your facial expressions, 
through your body language, through your words, through your time, that you like them, (laughs) that you enjoy being with them, that you're very pleased with them. How do you do that? Have regular meals together. And dad, make sure that the atmosphere around the table is largely happy. Keep good order. Make sure it happens. This is particularly important in the younger years. Do fun things together. I don't mean take a bunch of trips. I mean giggle. Wrestle. Tickle. Hug. Kiss them goodnight. Mess with them. Have fun. Do holidays up big. Consider having Saturday night a big deal, getting ready for church for Sunday morning, maybe a good meal, getting some regular habit. Also, going back to last week's sermon, the way to cultivate kind of a happy home is husbands and wives loving each other, enjoying each other. So the tenor of your home really matters. Enjoyable. Fourth, Worship. Sunday morning must be a priority of gathering with the church family. If you're going to raise your children to discipline and instruction of the Lord and give yourselves to worship. Give yourselves to being with these people, these dear people around you, these saints of the Lord, these chosen elect ones of God, these redeemed saints of the Lord. Give yourselves to them. Commit to a local church. Take care, parents, how you talk about your church, especially its leadership. Honor them, submit to them. You don't know what wonders it'll work in your children if they see you raised loving the church and speaking well of her. And then worship daily in your home. Do family worship. What do I mean? Find a time where you're consistently together as a family on a daily basis. Fathers, gather your family together for a brief time. We're not talking 30 minutes. It's probably not five, so 10, 15, 20 minutes where you open the Bible, read a portion together, maybe sharing the reading, sing a song, I encourage you, keep it simple, pray, and that's it. Don't provoke them to anger in praying for 20 minutes. Don't provoke them to anger by reading three chapters. The way we do it in our family is largely read just a chapter at a time. If it's a long chapter, read a portion. And here's the real blessing of it. If you do that consistently over the years of your child's life in your home, you'll have read and have to talk about just about everything that you'd ever want to talk about with your child. When your kids are growing, you you won't go, oh, I never talked to them about that. Because you'll have it in Scripture, you'll have to talk about it. So family worship. If you want to know more about that, please talk to Pastor Jeff or I. We'd love to share more info about that. So be a good example. Provide cultivate a tenor or an atmosphere of delight, worship in the home and on Sunday morning, and fifth, teach. Raise them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, as I said, daily family worship will go a long way here. Reading through the Bible together, just right through a book, section by section, chapter by chapter, will will hit all of the theology. It'll be really good. And then teach all of life. You all know that you have tens of opportunities every day 
to talk about the things of the Lord. Now, take care here. Don't be overbearing. Don't constantly go, hey, kids, did you see that sunrise? And what does that tell us about God? Right? Like, don't make it so cringy. <laughs> if you're watching or hear a song on the radio and a topic comes up, after the song, turn it down and ask a question. What's, what's that artist teaching us? What's that song about? So teach. Take care to establish family rules. Teach them to your children. It's typically the D's. Disrespect, disobedience, dishonesty. Hold fast to them. So teach your children. It's part of establishing the tenor of your home. You take the time to take your child aside and teach. All right, the next one is discipline. This, maybe next to the atmosphere, is, is really the most important because it's the most neglected in our culture. It is greatly neglected. And here I'm talking primarily about spanking, but there's other things that go into discipline. So you are the authority in your parents' lives. And we hate authority today. We think authority is a four-letter word. And so we neglect it. You are to use it. You are to use it kindly and wisely. But to not use it is our cultural sin today. So look at this. Right use of authority is the road. We want to stay on that road. There's two ditches. One is to abuse authority, and we are very aware of that ditch today. We are constantly looking at authority and where they might abuse it. But the other ditch is to not use it is to neglect to take up the authority you've been given. And that is the ditch we're driving in today. And we're not aware of it. We actually think it's a virtue. We think it's a virtue for a husband not to use his authority. We think it's a virtue for a parent not to exercise his or her authority. We think it's a virtue for pastors to be nice and cool, but to not exercise authority. It's not a virtue it's as damaging as damning as abuse of authority. You have to get that through your head. To neglect authority is to destroy, just like to abuse is. Discipline works in the context of love. Sean's teaching a parenting class for the parents of families going to our school, going to Armist Day. And he was talking to me a few weeks ago about it, and he was talking about love. Love is like a bank account. You've all heard this illustration before, but it's very important. Discipline withdraws from that bank account. If there's nothing in it, your kids are going to buck your discipline. So love them. Love them. If you want to make discipline as simple as you can, children are to do as you say. They are not to do as they want. Rather than they do as they say. To be disciplined when you tell them to do something and they do as they want rather than they do as, they, as you say. What is discipline? Well, first, you have to make sure that the kids understand the standard, that they've practiced a bit. But discipline shouldn't be done out of irritation or anger. Dis discipline shouldn't be neglected because you're angry, though, either. 
If you're frustrated and irritated and you're tempted to spank your kid out of irritation, take a break, take a pause, get yourself under control, and then discipline him or her. You need a plan for discipline. Every Sunday we have an an order, a liturgy. There's a plan. You need a liturgy for discipline. You, you need to know what you're going to do and what order you're going to do it in when an offense occurs in your home so that you can be self-controlled and so that you can just have a repeated way to do it so that your kids know that this is happening when this happens. So when an offense takes place, what's the liturgy? Let me recommend one. When a sin takes place, we discipline for sin, not for doing something that irritates you. When a sin takes place, let a child is understanding when they lie, when they say no to something you've asked them to do or they don't do what you asked them to do and you've warned them and it's time for discipline, you take the child to a private area. Step one, get them out of public view. Moms, if you do this consistently in private, when your kids push you in public, it won't happen near as much, but you'll have a plan. There are some times when you're shopping with the kids and the kids taking advantage of a public place that you need to leave your cart in aisle five, head to the car, drive home, and spank the little bugger because he's testing you. She's testing you. They're seeing if they can get away with public what they can't get away with private. Don't be embarrassed. Don't apologize. Just get them out of there. Take them home and let them know this ain't happening and probably bring home dad. Call in the heavy. Cut it off right there. So your kid sins, get them to a private place. In your home, it maybe is going to be a bathroom. Maybe it's a bedroom. But get them away. Don't, don't, don't do it publicly. There are some times where you're going to have to just swoop and spank in public in front of others that you trust. But mostly you're just going to get them in private. Second, explain very clearly and very simply, like short, very briefly, what the sin was. Use biblical language. The Bible says, thou shalt not bear false witness. You lied. I'm spanking you for lying. Your child will be tempted to debate you. Don't allow it. Don't enter into a conversation with them. There's a reason they're doing it, and it isn't because they want to have a rational dialogue with you. It's because they want to take your authority. They're rebels, and they're really good at it, just like you are. So just tell them simply, plainly, this isn't a sermon. You're not going to go along as Pastor Jeremy. It's going to be 30 seconds. Use biblical language, and then you spank. How do you spank? Turn off the live stream here. Just kidding. Uh, the Bible calls it a rod. So I think using some other instrument other than hand is helpful. You can't spank like you should with your hand. So a spoon, hand too much, and you won't be able to apply the kind of sting that you need to your child. So a spoon, a good wooden stiff spoon with a wider, flatter front. I'm just, I'm telling you how it needs to be. I don't, don't use a belt. Don't go get a switch. We're not causing damage here. We're causing a sting. We don't want to break skin or leave welts or bruise at all. 
It's, it's just a good sting. They need to feel it. What we do is have them place their hands on the sink or the toilet or bend them over the knee depending on the age. If they fight you and wrestle back, don't wrestle with them. Let them know that they just earned more. Let them get themselves under control. You love them. You're not yelling. You're not coercing. You're loving them. On our younger children, we pull down the pants and leave the underwear up. And then depending on the offense, they get swats. And it needs the sting. It should hurt. It shouldn't cause damage or pain, but it needs to hurt. Because sin causes pain. Because sin destroys. And so if it's a minor offense, it's probably two or three or four swats. If it's a major offense, it's more. It's not one and it's not light. If you tap your children, you're not doing anything but helping them to do it again and again and again. Some children have rear ends made of rawhide. And it just doesn't hurt. (laughs) And they're going to need it different than a child that if you hit or spank once, not hit, if you spank once, they melt. You got to know your kid. But it's always in the context of love. It's not flying off the handle. After they are spanked, you pull their pants up and you let them cry. You hold on to them, you cuddle them, and you let them cry. After that's done, you look at them and you teach them how to confess. Mommy, I lied. Please forgive me. It's that simple. And then you look at them and you say, I forgive you. It's over. I will never bring this up again. Because that's what God in Christ does for us. And that's the liturgy. And if you'll do that consistently for your child, confessing when you don't do it wrong, it will be very, very helpful to them. That's included in raising your child in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I know there's all kinds of arguments in secular philosophy or psychology against it. But here's the simple thing. We're Christians, right? You have no authority to withhold what Jesus is telling you to do. Why do you think that you can say no to what Jesus is saying yes to? That's the simple reality of us as Christians. If, if God says in his word very plainly, and he does over and over again, to not withhold discipline for your child, who do we think we are saying no to God? Right? Who do we think we are? In fact, the Bible says that we set our souls, our minds on their d- destruction if we withhold discipline. All right, two other quick things. Educational choice really matters. It needs to be Christian. We are to raise them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Christians should provide Christian education, even if it costs a lot. I'm not here talking about homeschooling versus like a brick-and-mortar school. Either could work if done well. Both have different pitfalls. Some have the same pitfalls. But it needs to be Christian which means it needs to be plainly biblical, loving, happy, but biblical. Lastly, work. Raising your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord means, if we remember, we're created to work, right? Teaching your kids to work. I think it's a big deal in our culture where the parents do all the work around the household and expect very little out of their kids. 
I don't think that's as big an issue in our church. Most of our kids I see working and working hard. Good job. Keep it up. Kids need to work a lot. Because work is part of our sanctification. Idle hands are the devil's... I'm waiting because I don't remember what the word is. Playground. Thank you. Teach them to work. Teach them how funny it can be. Work with them. Give them chores. Expect them to do a good job. If they don't do a good job, don't finish it for them. Teach them how to do it. Get them a job early. Let them enjoy it. Let them be part of the household in that. All right. If you want to hear more, I'd be glad to talk to you. The best book I know on parenting, especially on fathering, is called Daddy Tried by Tim Bailey, if you wanted to get a good one. Uh, There's others, but that would be a good start. So, raise your children, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Give yourselves to this work by faith, knowing that God intends to bless it. Let's pray. Father, thank you uh, for your word, for how specific it is, uh, for how good and right it is, and give us faith to give ourselves to it. Give us faith to be obedient, give us faith to seek forgiveness when we're wrong and help us to add to what we're doing already with more. Keep us from despair in this work. Let us have the faith to trust your promises for it. But God, we need you by your Holy Spirit to open us up to your good word. It is right, it is eternal, it is unfailing, it will never return void. And so God, please have mercy on us, especially in our parenting. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.